Alrighty, let's pray together. Lord, thank You for our time of worship so far this morning. Thank You for the opportunity to uh, catch up and love one another with Your love. And, and now, once again, as we open Your Word, we're reminded in John seventeen seventeen that it, it is Your Word that sanctifies us, that sets us apart, that really uh, reveals Your will uh, to us. And so, we're reminded also that it's the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, that opens our hearts and minds uh, to understanding and applying Your Word. So that's our desire. We ask You, Lord, to, uh, to teach us. You know each person here. You know where we are with You. You know what's going on in our lives. And it's to Your Word, Your truth, that we look for, for all answers, Lord. So, so we love You. Thank You for Your Word. And, and ask You now to lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Imagine Christmas is over. All the programs have been performed. All the pictures have been taken. The carolers are done singing. The holiday parties have come and gone. The presents are unwrapped. And the big dinners have all been eaten. Christmas music is turned off. The family's headed back home. Someone from work is on the phone. The kids have a practice to get to. The house needs to be cleaned. The bills still need to be paid. The groceries are running low. The stock market is still down and up and down. The TV is still on. The news is still worrisome. Life just keeps going as if Christmas never happened. But it did happen. Look around. The church is full of family and friends and laughter. Because the baby is still the Savior. And the Savior is still the gift held out. To a world still looking for joy, an earth still waiting for peace, and the peaceful still sing in wonder of the God who gave His Son, and the Son who gave His life to add us to His family, and one day welcome us home. Imagine. Christmas is over. But remember that it really happened. And it changed everything.
you were here at Christmas Eve, we talked about the reality of the birth of Christ. And in the timeline of Earth's history, Jesus was born. And in the timeline of Earth's history, Jesus died and rose from the dead. So it really did happen, right? And, and I love this clip because it, it really challenges us with, okay, so what? So what today? What does that mean today? It's December 28th, right? Isn't Christmas over? What, what now? What now? And we've been, we've been learning the last few Sundays together that, that this thing we call Christianity is really much, much more than just believing all the right stuff. Christianity is, just, is, is more than just being able to recite verses and, and, and know right doctrine. Very important, very important. But, Christ, but Christianity is also so much more than celebrating holidays. You know, not, I love Easter, love Christmas, right? It's just a part of it. But if we're not careful, and if we've never really taken the time to, to ponder, what is this Christianity all about? We can reduce it to, well, it's just like knowing all the right stuff, isn't it? And it's just like celebrating all these holidays. Isn't that being a Christian? And just doing, just doing certain things and avoiding certain things. Isn't that, isn't that what Christianity is about? Just do's and don'ts, right, right head knowledge and holidays. Is that really what we're about? Is that, is that, is that really Christianity? Right? I shared with you, I've shared with you a few times over the years the story of a, of a teenager I was working with in San Diego. Grew up in a church family, in fact. Uh, and when he was in junior high and high school, got heavily involved in one of the gangs in San Diego. And his parents attended our church. He would come to our youth group regularly because they came to church. And they asked me to meet with him, and I started to meet with him, develop a friendship with him, would take him to church, would take him out to lunch. Spent a lot of time with this guy, a lot of time. And uh, all the while knowing he's in gangs, and, and not just a, you know, he wasn't just a wannabe, he was in, in, in. And uh, he knew, he sat through Bible studies, he, th- he sat through church, he sat through Christmas services, you know, he sang songs. He was there at youth group. He sang with us. And uh, I met with them, met with them. Uh, he graduated. I went to another church, found out through the grapevine that he ended up in jail. Ended up in jail. And uh, in, in, in one of those weird circumstances that God sets up, I, I, I was at a church in Oceanside, and I found out that he was laying tile in a new development. I don't know. I forget how I found out, but I said, "Hey, so and so's over there. The, the new development, laying tile. He's out of jail." So I went over there and popped in all these years later, and we hugged and reminisced a little bit. And I asked him. I said, "Hey, man, you remember all those times we went to church? Yeah. You remember all those times we hung out? Yeah. Remember all the times we talked about, you know, the drive-bys and people shooting in your rooms and all this kind of stuff? Yeah." Did any of that matter? Did any of that make a difference? Right? I mean, I, I, he's, he's straight up. I'm sure. Did any of that matter? And I'll never forget this. He said this. Well, you were a good influence on my life, but I was going to do what I was going to do. Grew up in the church. Knew the songs. Had a Bible. Celebrated Christmas. All the while, deep in his heart, 
tenaciously holding on to, I was going to do what I was going to do. You know? And I appreciated his honesty. And, and, you know, we went our separate ways, and I'm not sure what happened to him since. But it made me think of, of where we've been these last several weeks, understanding the, these, these absolutely incredible truths about God, right? And in the last few weeks, we, we've looked at that God is with us, right? Emmanuel, Christmas, right? God is with us, right? Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, right? And then we said, not only is God with us, but He's where? In us. Crazy. Okay, again, that's one of these churchy truths that, you know, I think a lot of people, even non-church, sort of would, okay, God is with us, sort of like He's generically around, right? There's a big, right? I don't know if you guys have really spent time pondering what you say you believe. Because what you say you believe, according to Scripture, is that the God of the universe, the transcendent God, creator, all-powerful, lives where? In. In. Not just with, but in. Right? A couple of verses, and we spend a lot of time just biblically getting solid on this. Don't you know that you, you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Right? 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? So here's a radical thing. This young guy, this young gangbanger, right, going to church, doing all the right things, saying all the right things, sitting there with his family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, amen. Can we go home now? Can talk to me, can, can recite Bible stories. And yet... This radical truth of Christ being in him never resonated. Now, maybe he wasn't a true believer. Maybe he had never put his faith in Christ. Right? There's a lot of people in this country and in this world who go to church and you're not saved. Right? You're not. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Right? Faith in Jesus. Putting your faith, your, your, your trust in Christ alone is what saves you. Going to church doesn't save you. So there's millions of people probably in this country and around the world who go to church every Sunday but won't make it to heaven because they never put their faith in Christ. Maybe that's where he was. Maybe that's where he was. But if he was a believer, there was this huge disconnect because he was going to do what he was going to do and the Bible says... The God of the universe indwells you. And I was thinking of him in light of us. Maybe you're not running with gangs. Maybe people aren't shooting you at your house. But you're still struggling with, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's that battle of the will. It's a battle of surrender, battle of submission, right? Every day. What are you going to watch on TV? How are you going to spend your money? What's going to come out of your mouth? What are you going to spend your your thought life on? Are you going to forgive? It's all about will. Choosing. Choosing. And so we have this truth that God indwells us. So we've been asking these last couple weeks, well, if He's in us, what is He doing? 
Isn't that a legit, legitimate question? If the God of the universe, according to the Bible, lives in me, what's he doing? Is he just sitting around like the principal waiting for me to mess up? Right? Is that a lot of people view God, even if they understand God in them, he's just waiting. He's like the police or the principal, and he's just waiting for you to mess up. Boom! Right? That's what many of us, right? He's not there to help me. He's not there to empower me. He's not there to bring joy and the fruit of the Spirit in my life. God's just waiting. Susan. Waiting. Just waiting for you to get that phone call from the person you don't like. And He's just waiting for you to mess up again. Aha! Told you, Susan. You're on my B team now. You're on the JV. A lot of us look at God like that. He's just the principal. And when you mess up, you get the call slip. How many of you ever got the call slip at school? Oh, man. And your heart's beating all the way. Oh, man, what did I do now? Anyone ever have a what did I do now moment? Like, ugh. Or how'd they find out? Right? How'd they find out moment from your parents? Right? See, a lot of us have this sort of negative warped view that God is just like in us. He might be in us, but He's in us and He's just watching. Just watching. And so we walk around like this. And, and we're Christians. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But what's a Christian do? Just don't mess up. A lot of the people, a lot of us as Christians walk around, of just your goal in life is not to mess up. Is that what we're about? Is that what Christianity is about? Has it been reduced to God's in me as the popo in the sky and I better not mess up? Who wants to sign up for that? No. That's not what he's about. Look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13, right? It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. What those verses said, and we've just as kind of a brief review, is that when you become a believer, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, God, supernaturally, that word is energy, where we get the word energy, he is continually available, supernatural energy, to do two things we've learned, right? To change your will, to match his, and then to obey. Right? And, and I'll use the example a couple weeks ago, Bill, you know. Let's say someone has an addiction. And sometimes people think, oh, Christian, you can't, you can't, you can't. Right? And really the heart of it is God changed my desires. God changed my will. I just don't want to do that anymore. I just don't want to do that. See, God doesn't make us robots. God doesn't make us robots when you become a Christian. You still have your free will. And here's the thing. When you slide back into those behaviors and sin. Just be honest and say, when I do those things, it's because I want to. You see, you still have your will. But what happens, according to Philippians 2, 12 and 13, you can open yourself up and say, Lord, change my will. Make my desires match your good pleasure. Make my desires godly. Take away these desires that I've had. And change them. And that verse says supernaturally, He changes your desires. And then here's the radical thing. Supernaturally, He empowers you to obey. 
Now that's something you sign up for. That's something you sign up for. You're like, oh man, are you serious? The God of the universe lives in me? Yeah. Well, what's he doing? The radical thing is, if you'll choose to let him, he's going to start changing your desires, little by little. He'll start even changing what comes out of your mouth. He'll start changing your thought life. He'll start changing habits, little by little. And then the crazy thing is, as he changes that, he supernaturally says, here, and I'm here to help you do it. I'm here to enable you to do it. Isn't that radical? Isn't it radical? That is the testimony that we should be having in this valley, just as you live your life. Whether you're in school, whether you're in a secular job, just as if you stay home, the radical testimony of followers of Jesus is this supernatural life, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And people are like, Scott, you used to be really grouchy at your shop. And, and you weren't very nice. What happened? Isn't that the testimony? Isn't that the testimony? Changed lives. Transformed lives from the inside out through the power of God living in you through His Holy Spirit. That's the testimony. That's what the world needs to and wants to see. Bill and I were talking, people spend millions and millions trying to find answers and help and, and going to all these different resources. When all along, as believers, we have the Word of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and maybe, maybe, if we would let God transform us, and maybe if our neighbors saw transformed lives and transformed relationships and healed relationships and, and addictions that aren't there anymore, maybe our neighbors would say, I want that. I want to know Jesus like that. Could that be me? Could it? Yeah. Because we saw the good news was true for all people. Right? And so turn to Ephesians, one book back. And last Sunday we looked at this verse. Ephesians 3.20. says, now to him, that's God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, we've just been talking about that, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the application questions that we've been really sort of allowing God to speak to our hearts about is one, are you willing to be made willing? Have you come to the place in your life where you're like, Lord, here's my life. There's no sacred cows. There's nothing I'm going to keep from you. I'm an open book. Would you please just start to make my will match your will? I'm willing to be made willing. And then the second question we asked last week is, do you really believe God is able? Is there an area in your life that if you're honest, you may not say it, but you kind of think it, that's too big for God. That's too big for God. There's no way. It's always been that way. I've always been that way. That's just the way it is. And in a roundabout way, you're saying, God, you're not able. 
Is God able? Your health, your finances, your relationships, your attitude, your language, your habits. Do you really believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than you can even imagine? Because here's the thing. If you struggle at the heart level with God being able, if God's not able, by default, who is? Everyone do this and do this. See, if you doubt that God is able, then who has to handle it? Not me. Say me. <laughs> no, I know. Right? No, let's just say, because we all do this, let's just be real here. If I doubt that God is not able to handle a situation, who am I going to rely on? Me. If I doubt God's ability in any area of my life to handle it, who am I going to, by default, rely on to handle it? I'm going to give it right back to you, right? We that see it's not that we're necessarily like oh angry at God or we're backslidden. Sometimes our struggles with God and trusting God boils down to this: I don't believe you're able to handle it, and because you're not able to handle it, I got to deal with it. It's part of the culture we're, we we've been raised in. You know, very independent, self-reliant individualistic, you know, don't ask for help. If you ask for help, you're a wimp. You're a sissy. Right? Or sometimes, right, if you've been a parent, right, and, and, and you, you, you try to let your kid handle something, but you after a while you determine that they're not able, how many of you have ever said, go ahead, try. Oh, let me do it. Oh, just let me do it. Why? Because we didn't really believe they could do it. They were able. Just let me do it. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. Kind of in a roundabout way in some situations we're saying, you're not able. So let me do it. And then we bring that into our relationship with God. Lord, are you really able to change my heart towards this person? I don't think you're able. I'll deal with it. Lord, can you really handle my finances? You mean... Are you able to handle my finances if I handle them in a godly, biblical way? I don't think you are. I'm going to handle it the way I know. Sometimes our struggles is really a struggle with believing that God is able. Is He able? And there's a few verses. You don't have to turn there in the interest of time. Let me just share these with you. Jude 1.24 To Him who is able to keep you from falling. And to present you before His glorious presence without fault and great joy. Here's a great one. Hebrews 2.18 Because He Himself suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Hmm, there's a good one. You been tempted lately? Is God able? Is God able to enable you to say no to that temptation? Is God able to even take that temptation away? See, sometimes we struggle because inadvertently we don't believe God's able. I'm just, I'm just, that's just my, you know, that's my Achilles. I just give into that all the time. Sorry, God, you're not able. This is just me. I always, you know, this comes around. I have to do it. 
Hebrews 2.18 again. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that awesome? See, if you, if, you, if you begin to process this and understand this, the next time you're tempted, you know what you do based on this? You go, Lord, I'm being tempted. Because doesn't he already know? Lord, I'm being tempted too. And then you fill in the blank. And then when you say, but Lord, based on Hebrews 2.18, it says you're able to help me. And then you find another verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He'll always provide a way out. Oh, so then you say, Lord, you're able to help me in this temptation? Yes. Well, how are you going to do that? I'm going to show you a way out. He is able. That's the glorious thing. That's the, that's the wonderful supernatural, I call it the supernatural adventure of walking with Jesus. He's not just with me on my side, kind of like as my buddy. He indwells me to change my will, to make my desires match his. And then he says, I'm going to supernaturally enable you to obey because I'm able. Because I'm able, right? In light of Christmas, I thought of an example. Turn to Luke. Let's look at an example of someone who really had to believe that God was able. Luke chapter 1. Very, very familiar story in light of Christmas where an angel comes to visit Mary. Mary. Now, in context, if you didn't know, in this culture, Mary would have been a, a very young teenager. Something 12, 13, 14. Okay? That's, that's Mary's age in this culture. She was betrothed, which is, which is a little more or a lot more uh, binding than engagement. Okay, sometimes they would be betrothed for up to a year, but legally, they would still be called husband and wife. They just didn't live together. So Mary is betrothed to who? Joseph, right? It's all set up. She is how old? 12 to 14. She's a young teenager. That's, that's, that's how it happened in this culture, right? Let's start Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So Mary, right? She's a virgin. She's doing everything she needs to be doing. Angel comes and says, Hey, 
And I love this. Look what it says in uh, verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. He's like, hey! When it says highly favored, that means greatly graced. Greatly graced. This is a good thing. It says, hey, Mary, you are greatly graced. God wants to bestow all kinds of grace upon you. Right? The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. Angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Okay? Is this good news or bad news? In God's economy. Good news? Good news, right? How many say it's good news? It is. Now, from Mary's perspective. See? This is one of those things where we kind of gloss over. It's good news. The angel is saying, hey, this is awesome. Greatly graced one. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. You found favor. And we're like, woohoo! And Mary's like, So, I'm, I'm, I'm betrothed. How am I going to explain this to Joe? How am I going to explain this? And, and may, it's possible. We had plans. We were going to go do this and this and this. We, we had our lives kind of laid out. We were going to get married and we were going to go do this and this. And now you're saying that supernaturally, I'm going to carry the Son of God? Don't, don't gloss over that God in His plan of salvation for the whole world comes and says, Hey Mary, good news! I'm going to use you. Here's my grace. And Mary has to struggle with will. But Lord, I had my plans. And what is Joseph going to say? And if you know the story, what, did jo- what was Joseph's initial reaction? Get rid of her, Baal. Oh yeah, right. God, right? Imagine, guys, your girlfriend, your, your, your fiancé. Hey, Joseph, just to let you know, an angel came. And the angel said, I'm going to give birth to a baby, not yours. What did it take for Joseph not to bail? A visit from an angel. Hey, Joseph, I understand. Kind of crazy story, right? But I just want you to know it's legit. Right? So these two, right off the bat, are struggling with their agenda, their thoughts, what they thought was going to happen in their life. God supernaturally says, "Uh, I've got plans for you. I've got plans for you. Right? And then Mary... I love this, you know, and, and, and it's not necessarily skepticism. She says this, verse 34, how will this be? How will this be? Now, that's different because in Zechariah, in verse 18, he was more skeptical and doubting when the angel came and said, Hey, Zach, I know you and Elizabeth, you're really old and she's barren, but she's going to have a baby. Zechariah said, How can this be? Because we're advanced in age. Zechariah focused on the obstacle. How can this be? What is Mary? Well, okay, Lord. Deep breath. How, how will this be? How, how is this going to happen? And he explains it to her. And then the key in verse 37. For nothing is impossible 
with God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If God comes into your life and says, Hey, Betty, you know that area that you've been struggling with for years? And you're kind of set in your ways and you think that it's never going to change? I want to make a corner in your life. We're going to take you this way. Well, how, how will this be? Betty, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. Some wonderful verses, right? In Genesis, right? Genesis uh, 18, 14, don't turn it. It says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Job 42, 2. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah 32:17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? See, the, the title of, of, of today's sermon is God is able, am I willing? God is able. The Bible tells us there's nothing impossible for Him. But are you willing? Are you willing to open up the, the deepest recesses and say, Lord, okay, I'm willing. Begin that process of change. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. I thought I was going this way. I thought this is what you I, I had planned. or I, I thought this is what your agenda was. But you want to go that way? Okay, I'm willing to go with you. Like Mary. See, sometimes in our life, even as Christians, we put God in a box according to our agenda. And then we begin to say, okay, I guess this is all that God can do in my life. Just right here. And God's like, are you willing to let me in and do beyond what you can even imagine me doing? Because God says, I'm able, God is able, but are you willing? See, Mary, Mary struggled with these two issues right off the bat. How will this be? Oh, nothing's impossible with God. And then look at, look at her will. Here's, here's verse 38. We'll close with this. Here's her will. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. This past summer or so, we talked about the nature of our relationship with God. It's covenant. And the nature of that relationship is that God is always the sovereign authority in our relationship with Him. Sometimes what happens is that even if you've been in church for a while, we begin to see God as our buddy and our friend. And we see Him this way. And when we start to see Him this way, the thing you have to be very careful about is you stop being willing to submit. Look what Mary says. I am the Lord's servant. Sometimes we think God's around to serve us and meet our needs. And He invades Mary's life in a beautiful way and says, Mary, Mary, I've got this plan for the whole world and it involves you. And I know you don't really understand it because it's kind of crazy supernatural, but nothing's impossible for me. And Mary beautifully says, I'm the Lord's servant. Okay. 
And here's my prayer for you as we close 2014 and as you begin to pray about 2015. Would you be willing, even in one area of your life, in 2015, just one area, say, Lord, your will be done in this area. Your will be done in this area. I don't know what it looks like just yet, but I've been carrying this around And I've honestly, Lord, thought you weren't able to handle it for a whole lot of years. But in 2015, Lord, by faith and by trust in your word, I'm going to believe you are able. Therefore, your will be done. Just in one area. For a whole year. Is there something in your life? Like Mary, God is coming in and saying, hey, hey, hey. And like Mary, you're like, oh, what? What's going to... You want a what? You want a what? Yeah. I want to bring healing. I want to bring forgiveness. I want to restore relationships. I want to help you with your finances. Biblical stewardship. Mary. Don't forget this. Mary, the angel said, Hey... Highly favored one. The Lord is with you. It was good news. God loves you so much. He's not out to ruin your life. He was not out to ruin Mary's life. Please understand that. He was bestowing grace upon grace upon grace. She was blessed. And so are you. So are you. In Ephesians 1.6, those same exact terms, there's three terms that he used for Mary. Ephesians 1.6, talks about the grace given to us. Matthew 28, 20 says, Jesus says, I am with you. Same thing that the angel said to Mary, right? Ephesians 1, 3, Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Just like the angel told Mary, you are blessed. If you're a believer, you have the same standing as Mary did. You receive God's grace. He's with you. And you're blessed. God is able. Are you willing? Let's pray. Lord, Father, we thank You for reminding us this morning through the Christmas story, through Mary's story, that nothing is impossible with You. And I've got to think about Mary, a young teenage girl who who perhaps had dreams and, and, and plans with, with her fiancé, Joseph, and they, were, they had everything sort of maybe planned out. And here you came and you said, Mary, I have a plan for your life. Mary, will you trust me? Mary, will you rely on me? And Father, my prayer is that we would respond in the same way that Mary did. And submit and surrender our wills to yours. Our lives to yours. Lord, we don't want you just to be a good influence. We don't want to leave here saying, Oh, yeah, church was a good influence, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. No, Father, we we want to believe today that you are able to do immeasurably more than we can even imagine. We want to leave here knowing you're not just with us, but in us. 
And we want to leave here submitted and saying, Lord, Your will be done. Supernaturally change my will. Supernaturally empower me to live a life that glorifies You. If you're here this morning and you've never received God's incredible gift of salvation, the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That whoever would believe on Him should not perish but have eternal life. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, a relationship with God begins in the best way you know how, believing on Jesus alone for your salvation. You may not understand it all, but you say, Lord, in the best way I know how, I'm trusting that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin. And in the best way I know how at this moment, I'm placing my faith in Jesus alone for salvation. If that's your desire, you can express that to God. And Lord, as we prepare for communion, we'll hold the cups again in remembrance of what You did for us on the cross. That ultimately you were the greatest example of someone submitting to the Father's will as you stood in the garden, wrestling with what you knew was going to happen. And yet you said, Father, yet not my will, but yours be done. May that be the heart of our prayer as we enter 2015. Not our will, but yours be done. In Jesus' name, amen.